first of all, I um, my first first thing that I want to say is, can you promise me that you will never stop the 3DMJ podcast? <laughs> never? Um, I, I don't know if I can promise never, but we I have no plans of it. it it's going well. We, we love it. It's been really good for the team. Um, it, it brings the coaches close to like everything about it's been so great that no, we're definitely not not leaving it anytime soon. Yeah, was it was it actually your idea the to to do the podcast or who started the whole thing or who? It initiated? was yeah, it was my idea, but it wasn't my idea to host it. Uh, it just kind of worked out that way because I think it was my idea, and they all know I don't shut up. Um, hmm. But it was I think it was easy for me to to. I don't even know why I just, it made so much sense because the guys are so um, not just well-known, but I, because I know them personally and their value is in their, their lessons and their one-on-ones and their, their coaching experience and their, and there's some things that you just in a five minute video, it just doesn't translate as well, you know? Um, yeah. And so I, as you've heard me talk about, right, I'm obsessed with Joe Rogan and conversate, not just him, but, but co- podcasts that are not so interview like, like I, I, I guess, cause I get so much from all, every conversation I've ever had with the guys I coach with. And I was like, everyone needs these conversations. Um, and that was, I guess one of the, the reasons too, that they brought me on was just that I am. Um, of course, they they could have. There's a lot of people that would love to coach with 3DMJ, but uh, I really wanted to help build the brand, and I knew that um, videos. We coach so much, especially the guys coach so much, and videos are you know editing and they're they're hard to get out. And I knew that conversations were good and easy and valuable with them, and so it, yes, it was my idea, but it's so great because it's you know because it's everybody. So yeah, thank you for listening to it. No, I mean it is it is it is seriously one of the best things. Like it is my favorite thing at the moment on the internet. Period. Like, uh, yeah, um, I I will link some of my favorite episodes in the show notes. Like I was just listening to the um, recovery diet podcast uh, or episode today, and it was it was hilarious how you in the beginning you discussed how who threw up what after the post contest you know feasting. It, it was it was really funny. Um, but, um, so I was kind of going to transition into this, this kind of topic, but you just gave me the transition beautifully. So, um, actually when did you, in what year did you become a 3D MJ coach yourself? Um, it was the end of 2015, a year and a half ago ish. Okay. 2015. So I guess, uh, I guess my, my question on that would be, um, just, from looking back, I mean, I'm sure there have been conversations that you can recall, but like when you look at kind of what you can provide to the team and your strengths and your competences, whatever you want to call them, but what do you think made it possible for you to become a coach after being an athlete with them, right? On a coaching client kind of basis before? Yeah. Um, it, like I said, it wasn't Um, It was never intentional first off. Right. So I think like whenever I decided or not decided, the idea came up for me to be a 3DMJ coach. I had already known them for two and a half years, all of them personally. Um, And so it it wasn't, like I said, it, it was never the intention at first when I was developing my relationship with the guys. And like you said, at first I was an athlete and um, I did my first season with them in 2013 with Berto as my coach. And at that time I was starting my own, I already, I already had started my own YouTube channel, um, which was kind of starting to take off. And I had kind of ditched my previous life of wanting to be a professor in exercise physiology. And I started YouTubing and I'm traveling and moved to live by, uh, Berto and, and Jeff and Brad. And, it was, uh, I don't know. It was just, I was, um, making my own content and obviously I'm really passionate about sharing useful things. I think that that's something I love doing and 3MJ, you know, as a consumer of their content, they were a huge, huge deal for me. And so a lot of times in videos I would make or po- blog posts that I would make or whatever, I would always 
credit them because I obviously believe that that's important too. And um, even though Berta was my coach, I think that's how they they all just kind of knew that I existed, right? Was I would be like, Jeff, share this thing that Jeff did, share this thing Eric did, share this thing Brad did, and always give them credit or tag them or whatever in social media. So they, they knew I was alive and, and breathing. And um, then when I moved over there to California and was competing, I would I met all the guys at the shows, all of the all of my teammates, um, all the YouTubers or whatever. Because right? um, Matt Ogus was one of my training partners, and he was obviously um, famous in his own right. And Eric was his coach, and so it was just kind of I was officially part of this community, right? And um, that was about a year or two of that, and then. As I mentioned, I was already running my own website and everything. And um, what had happened then was I I wrote an ebook for figure athletes, for first time figure athletes, being like, "This is everything you need to know before your first show." Um, and it went really well. And I asked the guys, um, just emailed all the coaches, and was like, "Hey, if you think some of your athletes would like this, please share it." And they were like, "Oh, this is so great!" And and them, along with some other people, other coaches in the industry, were like, "We wish we had this for for guys." And so I was like, well, let me do that. But since I'm not a guy, um, and and I know that only matters on some things, especially posing. And Jeff was prepping at the time for his 2014 season. Um, it's so weird how it all happened. Is this okay that the story's long? No, no, no worries. Okay, Go ahead. okay, okay. Um, and so I asked Jeff, can you, I'm making this guide for for male bodybuilders. You look great. Can you write up a little blurb? about posing and then can we photograph you because also what's really handy is my boyfriend's a professional photographer and also a 3 game athlete so we went to jeff's house did that um the book did did pretty well and it was just a great experience right and that was the first time that any of the five guys had created something to sell online like even though i created it because jeff helped he um, got some of the income from it, and through that, we actually created his own posing guide, which is for sale still on the 3dmusclejourney.com website. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was his first kind of taste of, um, other than coaching, um, a different way to use an online business, right? To to create value in exchange for finances, you know. So so that was something that they hadn't quite touched on yet. And albeit I was nowhere near as big a name as they were. It was, I think, something that they saw. I was like, oh, this works. You know, this this is kind of a thing. And then um, when I was going on to my next book, I was like, you know, because it went so well and I still recognize that I'm not like the expert of all experts, but I was like, what's the thing that's changed my life the most? And I remember in 2013, Eric's um, six videos on the muscle and strength nutrition pyramid was like such a game changer for me personally. Um, but obviously it was only on videos and I was like, Hey, Eric, I know you might know me. I know we've met a couple times, but can I help you put this into text format? I, Cause he's getting his PhD. I know he's real busy, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so that was like an eight month process of me working with Eric. And then obviously we brought Andy on um, Andy Morgan from riptobody.com and we're building this, we're building this next big thing, right? Um, which is actually turned out to be a really big thing for all of us. But it was in the middle of that, right? So I'd already known the guys. I'd already worked with them with eBooks. Um, I actually um, did a couple posing clinics with 3DMJ just as like a guest. Hey, come help the girls because I know that we don't have girls yet. So I, I just worked with them in like um, friendly capacity for a little while, and then. Um, I guess long story short, I was moving from California back to Texas because I wanted to be by my family. And I was like, you know, I'm, um, all this stuff I had done with 3D was either in preparation for a far off book launch or it was pretty much for free because I was helping them like with their new, they had a, a new website at that time. We have, we've since had a new one now, but they were developing a new website. I was just, I don't know. I, I just felt always very akin to these guys and felt like I kind of owed them like my, my life and my career in a, in a weird way. And I was like, let me help you all with these things. Cause I was, I was always so interested in it and learning it. But um, anyways, when I wanted to move back home, I was like, you know, I, I want something a little more stable for myself. Uh, the eBooks was kind of getting exhausting. I was a little bit, um, I don't know. I, I just kind of told the guys, I was like, look, I, I love helping y'all, but I, I'm looking for something a little different, a little more, 
um, again, a little more stable and I need to pull back a little bit in order to make that happen. Um, and they totally were, were great about it. But at the same time, I think I was on a Skype with Eric and he was like, well, why don't you just coach with us? And then that'll be stable. And I was like, you're, you're joking, right? Like, like I just <laughs> never even, you know, crossed my mind after working with him in whatever capacity for two or three years. And he was like, well, why don't you just become one of us and you can, all your efforts helping the team would also help you as a coach. And it would just kind of come together. And I just like, again, had never thought of it. And it was like a week before I was moving that this came up. Um, and I'm, all the while in the back of my head, I'm like sort of like ready to do a job hunt and all this stuff. And mm. yeah, so they had a meeting of, or I, I, uh, Eric was like, we'll make a proposal. So I, I made a video of like, here's all the, the ways we can help each other and this would work and whatever. And, um, I was actually driving to Texas an hour away from like, my dad's house and they were like yeah they all four called me and were like we'd like to have you as coach and I was like so that's how it all started really long story but it was never intentional um it was really last minute but but it worked out yeah, yeah. no this um yeah I, I love that story because basically you you spared a whole bunch of questions uh, that I wanted to ask you uh, especially because um uh, do you like? Do you hear that echo as well? Like it's it's not gonna be a problem because I'm recording my voice separately. But uh, if you... okay, cool. So there is I, I don't know this thing in in English, but I certainly know it in in my own language. It it goes something like help yourself, and then God helps you out. And I I, I guess this kind of refers to the fact that at that point you just built up so much momentum and just kind of so much goodwill with all the stuff that you were doing that this amazing opportunity found you without ever expecting to do it whereas someone else could wait for an opportunity to come all their lives and it would never come by because 3dmj doesn't just you know hire new coaches every week but to you it happened uh, yeah it's, it's a great story so so yeah Really cool that you shared it. So uh, to make a really terrible segue here, um, let's, let's, let's get into a, a topic that I kind of want to uh, discuss with you today here. And that is what makes a successful bodybuilder or physique athlete from, from a mental standpoint or from a mindset perspective. But instead of just asking you a super vague question like, what makes a successful bodybuilder? Let's look at your, your own story. So if we were to look, if you were to go back, you know, do a little bit of a time travel and go back to when you were doing your first physique show kind of thing, you were first dieting down and stepping on stage and look at your mindset and mental approach at that time and contrast it to what it is like today, how would that look like? What would you say are the biggest differences there? Oh God. Okay. So the first time I prepped, I prepped, is that what you're asking? Yeah. Yeah. Like I heard some pretty rough stories. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was, um, well, I still am not the best with patience in, in most things. I, I've gotten a lot better at it, but I was very, um, I, God, I decided I wanted to compete 10 weeks before my first show. Um, and it was like, nobody could tell me any differently. Of course, I'm going to do it. Um, so I, I dove in. I I uh, basically, have to, I would lose like two to three pounds a week, which is a terrible idea for a five foot two female. Mm -hmm. um, so I was, I was in a rush. I was um, stubborn, I guess. Um, I was, I took immense amount of pride in being a hard ass that would do it no matter what, um, to the point where it obviously was not the best thing for my physique, but I, I was making progress. So like, damn it, I was right. You know, um, I don't know, I guess in, in a mentality, I was, I was so attached to the feeling that I didn't consider health or longevity, or um, even if it was a good approach, it was just, you know, or, or what working even meant, right? I just thought working was, okay, we're losing fat, like without any regard for gaining or maintaining muscle mass. Um, 
I don't know. It was just, it was all kinds of messed up, but I wouldn't take it back for the world, but it was just, um, I guess it, in a word, very short-sighted immediate gratification. What can I do now? I just had, had no regard for, for my career. I don't think I, I thought about a career in this. I was just like this show in 10 weeks and this is life. Is it, uh, do I recall it correctly that you, you mentioned it in a couple of places that you even lost some, some friendships at that time? Oh yeah. All of them. <laughs> yeah. All of them. Uh, I mean, I, I had to, I was in grad school, so I had to go see my coworkers, which are also my friends every day. But I was living with my best friend. Um, we, we were cheerleaders together in undergrad and I was in grad school now and we were roommates and we, the four or five years before that would had so much fun together and she's still one of my best friends now but I beginning at that prep I just didn't leave the house for almost anything besides work or or training right when I had to I barely left the house um and even when I was at home I was just watching YouTube videos and making food and like I was there was just nothing you could tell me and I all I could explain was like all I knew was these people don't understand what I'm going through um, this is what it takes to be the, to, to get this done. And, um, yeah, I was just above it all. I couldn't see any of that. Um, I, I had, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. no, I was saying I had a few of my friends that were in grad school with me that were just like, dude, are you okay? <laughs> you know? And I was like, I'm fine. I'm just doing this thing. Like what? <laughs> so yeah, it was, it was weird. And, and what do you think uh, drove that kind of uh, approach to like not leaving the house? Was it a fear of not making the best progress that you could? Was it a, a lack of knowledge about whatever, flexible dieting or, or anything like that? Or was it kind of just um, maybe you were just hyper-focusing on that, on your progress to mask away something else? Like in retrospect, what, what do you think it was? Yeah, I think... Um a life change is exciting, right? And I think what I did in deciding to do that show was, oh shit, that's not a lot of time. So I really need to buckle down. And I guess it worked, right? I guess I probably lost some muscle mass, but I'd never dieted before, but I, I lost a lot of weight. I don't think I could have gotten much leaner and like still survived. So I got like third in the class, of like 14. Like it, it seems like it was a success, right? If I look back. So if you have this thing, you know, if you overhaul your life and and then end up with this um, on paper success, then I think in in that feedback loop, I think I thought what I did to get here, I have to obviously keep doing to stay here. And and in my mind, uh, quote unquote, like staying here was really important to me because it, I felt good in my brain. I looked good. All my friends told me I looked good. The internet told me I looked good. Um, and so it was just all this internal and external validation because other than Laura, I'll even name her, my roommate that was there living with me and seeing it, all if they don't live with you, everybody just sees what you put on the internet. And on the internet, I looked good. Right. And so all my friends back home who didn't have to live with me every day were like, oh, my God, you're so great. You know, yeah. um, I was also selling supplements at the time. And obviously everyone in that industry was like, oh, you must know what you're doing. So I was being viewed as even more educated because I was I changed my body. Right. And I was taking these supplements. So obviously the supplements were working so I could sell more supplements. Like it was just so much in this. Um, I think some of the people that actually mattered, which is really sad. Everybody else that was like an acquaintance or or I didn't even know them, right? Were were somehow validating that I had made all these great decisions and this was such a good thing. And again, because like you said, I don't think I I changed so many variables at one time in my life that I I don't think I could pick apart like which ones actually contributed to me looking this way. I just knew like if I, if I change 20 pieces to get here, then all these 20 things must stay intact because that's the formula that got this. And so I think I just continued um, over time. So, yeah. yeah. It's it's funny, like when I'm, when I'm listening to stories of, of people who are now at a certain place and promote flexibility and kind of a more relaxed mindset, 
it sounds like many times they had to go through that fire of just being way more neurotic than they had to be or um, kind of had that little bit of an arrogance of like, look, you know, I, I bench whatever, 300 pounds or I, I'm very lean, so I know what I'm talking about. And then they kind of re reevaluated certain things. Like, do you think that to some degree you almost have to go through that fire initially to then come to better sense? You know, I I don't know anyone that's done it any different. I don't. There's people that have been um like there's a few athletes on my roster that have been with me since their first prep and I would say like you could say it was it has to every prep has to go like dark a little bit, right? Like it has to you have to get a little bit jacked up. But there's a little bit jacked up and then there's like you lost your whole life in relationships, you know? And I think there does have to be some amount of um, dark, neurotic, uh, maybe lightweight, depressed about something sometimes, but but there's a, a small amount of time that it almost has to happen. And it I don't know anyone that's gone through prep feeling like peachy the whole time or keeping all their relationships without ever upsetting anyone. And like, I think it does have to happen on some level. I don't think it has to go as terrible as minded. Um, but I don't know if that's maybe a product of the fact that I think as a community, we all know better now. And so I think yeah. maybe if you took any hundred athletes now in their first show, that's a natural athlete. I, I would think there might be a larger percentage that goes through a mildly bad time versus I bet, you know, 10, 15 years ago, almost everyone had a terrible, terrible time. So I, I think it's, there's no way to, to have it be like if, if Alberto or Jeff go through a prep, it's probably a lot less um, emotionally disturbing as it used to be, but I think it still has to get there. So um, I don't know if everyone has to, everyone I know has at least on some degree, but I guess it's almost like, almost like, um, I mean, I, I just I just heard Alberto in a recent video say that, well, I just realized that my prep was sucking just a little bit too much compared to how it should suck. Yeah, too early. Like it shouldn't suck this much at this point. And that is something that a newcomer to this whole thing will never, never be able to tell. Like they have no conception of how much it's supposed to suck, right? Yeah. And, and the thing is, too, is when you're new you like it like you're you know what i mean like it could suck really bad but you're like fuck it i'm losing weight like like it's so new and exciting that you you don't like you're right you don't know what the degrees of shittiness right you just know like well i'm in prepping it's supposed to be shitty and like yeah and also do you think that uh there is a certain degree of almost genetic advantage from a mindset perspective and i'll specify what i mean i i was just listening to uh your most recent 3dmj podcast episode today about doing a prep in a smart way and alberto said something about uh, or no, you asked alberto about taking caffeine naps and I, at first I thought I, I heard it wrong because I never heard about this. And I, I looked it up and then I learned that this is actually a thing that people pop in caffeine pills and then they take a nap and they wake up just before the caffeine pill would kick in. And and then I was like, great, I will try this out. But then I realized like, hold on, if it kicks in in 20 minutes, that means I have to fall asleep within like five minutes to for it to make sense at all. So, but someone like Alberto can do this. I could never fall asleep under that kind of pressure. But to the fact that he can do this probably says something about his personality that he just has that extra degree of relaxedness or I don't know. So do you think there is almost like a genetic advantage to some people? They're more predisposed to succeed in a sport like this? Of course. Yeah. In a lot of ways. I mean, and, and what's hard is like, Again, you don't want to discredit anything Alberto's done. That dude works hard, you know, but there are things that come easier to him. And he's the first person to say it, you know, that he can't explain. And, you know, if he's not thinking right, he'll lose weight if he's not paying attention in the off season, you know, if he or in season, like you said, if he's not monitoring how he feels, he can lose too fast. If, um, you know, so he's got a lot of weird, uh, what seeming, 
what seemed to be advantages in his genetic makeup. Yeah. I don't think I could fall asleep like that either on a dime. Um, I don't do, I don't do the caffeine naps, but I think it's so funny that he does. Um, yeah, he's there, there's genetics on a lot of levels, right? Like you said, it's, um, obviously everyone knows like your bone structure, your ability to respond to weight training, your ability to relax yourself to the point of taking naps within five minutes. Um, your, uh, and his, uh, food intake for maintenance is just extremely high in yeah. general. Right. It's, um, it's very carbohydrate dense. Like uh, he has very low fats. I don't know if that's an advantage or not, but it's, um, Jeff chooses to do the same thing. Whereas I need way more fat than all the guys on any other preps and I'm a smaller human. So it's just, yeah, I think that that's a good point. The genetics isn't just, um, about the looks, I guess it is how your body responds to things or maybe how you've trained your body too. Um, that's a good point. And, and then you have like your upbringing, right? Which isn't necessarily genetics, but it matters, right? Like I think my freaking lucky stars every day that I grew up the way that I did in gymnastics. Cause I think it's made me a hundred percent made me who I am, which is very different from anyone in my family in, in a lot of ways. No, that, that's a great point. And, and I guess in a way to, to make a really corny conclusion on this theme, it's kind of, that's the beauty of the sport, right? That like people with all kinds of personalities and genetic makeups can make it work and can succeed ultimately. Yeah. So uh, another thing that I wanted to ask you about, and that is a big pet peeve of mine is off season behavior. And yeah, uh, which is ironic because I never competed. I guess my version of off-season is like not cutting, right? So, uh, but, I, but I heard you mention in a couple of episodes that you struggle more off-season compared to when you're dieting, which, uh, which, you know, for the average person will not make sense. Like, why would you struggle more when you eat more? But so first of all, what, like, have you found an explanation for why that is the case for yourself? Yeah, it's too, it doesn't feel hard enough. Um, mm. I, it's not that I struggled, um, like logistically, if that makes sense. Like, it's not like the, the hard part wasn't physically hard or decision-making hard. It was like mentally unrested, mental, uh, kind of depressed, um, it, the struggle wasn't like, I don't know how to hit my macros and I don't know how to do my training or like I have binge tendencies. It wasn't any of that. It was like, I'm just kind of unhappy. Um, and, and with me, which again, I know it's not a, a normal case. I need something very athletically aggressive and important and urgent feeling in my, in my life all the time. And if, if I don't have that, I, I don't know. I don't, I'm not happy. It's just straight up. I, I can't explain it. I, I just don't feel settled in my life. Like stuff just doesn't feel right. And I, um, that's what all of like 2014 and most of 2015 was me working with Birdo to be like, dude, calm down. Like I can't like, it was almost like my education not backfired, but it it's like, I know that there's a certain amount of weight training that is productive and anything more is not, I get that. Right. And I know that dieting is not productive. I know I don't feel like I'm jacked, but I also don't feel lean enough. So I just feel like meh. <laughs> and yeah. then at the same time, there's, there was no performance goal. Even when I was doing powerlifting which was only for like, I invested like a year before my first uh, competition. It just, I didn't care enough about it. Um, so it just still felt like I was just, I was just like waiting, waiting till I could diet again and, and be good at it, you know? Cause at the same time I didn't want to get on stage again and look the same. So I was just like in this weird, like there, there's nothing to chase any more effort either in terms of creating a caloric deficit or, increasing training volume like neither of those would be useful in the long-term goal because I was finally like career looking right like if I'm always dieting and um, not allowing enough rest and doing too much volume and like making like I'll just look the same so I knew I didn't want to look the same I at least had that long of a view but at the same time I was just like not happy yeah I guess 
because um, the reason why why it was interesting to me that I heard you mention this in some podcast episodes because I struggle with the same thing myself. Like I I, I can pretty much like if if necessary I can fast for a week to to get to a, a short term goal. Not that I want to do that, but you know I'm I'm good at grinding, but then kind of just putting these really aggressive type of strategies in the back burner and just kind of sit back and focus on the process and whatever long-term progress, that's just incredibly hard. And the way I kind of learned to explain it to myself was that it's just the lack of a short-term goal that really motivates me. Like, do do you think it has to do with it as well? Uh, Yeah, yeah, I think... Because I, I would say that, but at the same time, my goal right now is like a five-year <laughs> introduction mm-hmm. to this like whole new brand new sport. But um, I think the short-term goal within that new sport, right, is like new skills. So um, yeah, which is I get in Yeah, in bodybuilding, like if I can curl, I can curl. If I can squat, I can squat. And so there's only long-term goals, right? Whereas um, even though the sport I picked to compete in, which I'm sure we'll talk about at some point, now I have a very long-term competitive goal. There's probably 50 skills I need to learn how to do and I only know like 30 of them kind of thing. So the, the shorter-term goal is like acquire these things and then get good at doing a few of them and then do them fast. So it's like, yeah, I, I think that is it, is that there's no... Pressure. I like pressure. Yeah. When there's no pressure, it feels like what are we doing this for? Yeah. So and and so just for context, what what's the sport that you picked up that you were referring to? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's called grid. Uh, it's very new. It's only in the United States right now. Um, it's a branch off of CrossFit. It's basically Olympic lifting, bodyweight gymnastics skills um, performed in in matches of two teams, co-ed teams that perform these relays. It's like PE, like physical education class races, but with like cleans and jerks and ring muscle ups and, um, you know, all kinds of crazy stuff like that. So it's, I think that's the best way to context it for people who have no idea. It's CrossFit, but heavier and faster and in relay races. And Mm. I don't know. Can can you still do like backflips and stuff like that? Yes, I can do backflips. Oh, They're oh, in the yeah. grid leg, actually. Yeah, you actually do oh. them. In, yeah, you compete in them. I can do backflips still. Yeah. <laughs> okay, tell me this. I'm I'm 25. Can I still learn how to do a backflip? Dude, of course you can, especially because you're a dude and you're in shape. Yeah, yeah okay. you can learn it. Yeah, you could totally learn it. Take a few classes. You'll get it. Okay. I, I I used to be able to do the, I don't know what it's called, but you know, when your hands are down, like you're jumping backwards, it's like a backflip when you're putting your hands down. But anyway, that's, uh, so, um, okay, so that that's your sport. And that is actually, that that's a good point to mention um, that like a lot of bodybuilders have taken up powerlifting, which is like not news for anybody who is following the sport. But what would you say... Um, for people who, let's say, don't want to power lift or they don't have another kind of athletic endeavor like what you have, do you have clients for whom you have to kind of suggest certain strategies to channel all that obsession that they have to like, because obviously like you can't be obsessed about building muscle because then you're going to be obsessed for a very, very long time until you actually see differences. So would you, would you have any tips for people who have that kind of problem? Yeah. Um, to be honest with, with a lot of my first time competitors, they're having such a good time coming out of a diet for the first time that they're okay. It's the ones that are, um, maybe after their second or third year, you know what I mean? Cause the, the first time you come out of a dieting phase is pretty, pretty exciting in terms of like, Oh my God, like you feel like you have these newbie gains again. Right. So uh, this is, again, as a, as a fairly relatively new coach compared to the guys, I didn't expect that, um, that I'm thinking everyone in my roster that was a first time competitor is having a blast just lifting again, because I don't think they realized like how shitty they would feel by the end of prep. And so that's actually pretty good. Um, so, but in terms of people that are just waiting, I think 
for most people, powerlifting is a great goal. It really is. All my athletes that do both are still very jazzed about powerlifting. Mm. Um, I think that's great. I, again, for me, I, I wasn't a good fit, but a lot of people are very content with just that. Um, some people, I can think of a couple in particular, where I'm like, go, go hang out with your friends again, call your husband, call your boyfriend, whatever. But they, I, I think I've made it a priority for them to go get their social life back. Yeah. Um, but I haven't had anyone that actually needed to, besides myself yet that I'm like, go find another sport or another hobby, like real bad, like go do that. Um, but that's just me again now in my small sample size of like maybe 20, 30 athletes. Yeah. But, but yeah. powerlifting, if you look at it, I like said percentage wise, like a lot of bodybuilders are just happy powerlifting because it is performance enough. And I yeah. think that's pretty cool. It, and it's stuff that they're most likely doing already. Um, Olympic lifting, not good for everybody. <laughs> I'm realizing that. Um, yeah. yeah, most people that can back squat, you can't just like overhead squat the next day. Like it's, it's a lot more involved than people would think. Although a lot of people, not my personal athletes, but a lot of people online I see have gone to like CrossFit and really enjoyed it. Um, yeah. for whatever reason, I, I didn't like that cause I don't like classes really, whatever, but there's a lot of CrossFitters that used to just lift for size or competed in bikini or whatever. So I think that's more common than people would think. Yeah. I, I've been thinking a lot about this lately. And like, I think for someone like me, uh, powerlifting would be suicide from like a connective tissue kind of perspective. So I was, I was, I was literally thinking about like, I don't know, I, I like singing, so maybe I should form a band or something like that. <laughs> yeah. I think it's, it's a good, um, if you can get someone to accept that, okay, this is really long-term, it's not going to happen fast, what can I focus on in the meantime? I don't think it has to be a sport, right? Like you said, like singing or whatever. Um, I know, I'm trying to think of like other people. Do you know who Insima Yang is? He's one of Berto's clients, he's huge. He's a, on Instagram, the Natty Professor. He trains at Super oh, Training. Yeah, that that's yeah, that sounds very familiar, yeah. Yeah, he, uh, like he went back to jujitsu. Like he, mm -hmm. he did that apparently or martial arts a while back. Now he, he's a tremendous power lifter and bodybuilder, but he did that. I think, um, I don't know. I think a lot of people that get into bodybuilding forgot that they like had fun at one point. So like, what yeah. did you think was fun beforehand and meat flipping around was fun and learning new skills was fun, right? And gymnastics and it just feels super right again. Yeah. And, and, and I, I was just talking about this with just speaking of um, forgetting how it is to have fun. I just had this conversation. I was uh, interviewing Paul Revella, you know. Um, yeah. And I, I was just uh, telling him how the other day I went on a walk and I'm not dieting at the moment and I was well fed and the sun was shining. And it was like, damn, this is how it feels like to just walk and actually enjoying it in the sun like and having a lot of energy. It was crazy. Like I totally forgot what it felt like because in my mind, um, kind of building my physique and, and just, I guess you could call it bodybuilding, even though I never competed, but it became one with the whole concept of deprivation and always taking away food and, and just starving. So yeah, it's very powerful to relearn how it is to to have fun and enjoying yourself. Yeah. There, I think, um, that's not just a bodybuilding problem. I think that's like an adult problem. Yeah. Right. Like people assume like you had fun doing whatever you did in like grade school, high school, whatever. And then you feel like you become an adult and like work has to be your thing, but I don't think it does. You know, I think you said, I think people forget that there's, you can still go do the things that you wanted to do. Um, yeah drawing coloring like whatever it is you know yeah. uh yeah i think that is like just an adult problem that it's not um that it's like frowned upon to do things strictly for enjoyment right because our society is so like achieve 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 and it's like why don't you do shit just because so um so i guess to just just put a final point on this theme um like what is your when you're not like when you're off season you're focusing on your sport in terms of your kind of bodybuilding type behaviors like tracking food, weighing in, 
doing things like this, eating out, you know, what are your kind of general policies or behaviors that you adopted over the, over the recent years? Yeah. Okay. So I probably, um, like I've been recently, I injured or thought I I did injure myself. Um, I had like a weird, uh, small abdominal strain, right. For like six weeks. And so prior to that, right. Um, I hadn't tracked my food in probably three or four months, but since I was training like no lower body for six weeks and I felt myself like in the morning, I was like, you're a little squishier and let me track for a little bit. So I've been tracking a little bit here and there, probably three, four times a week, just to kind of see where I'm at lately. Uh, but I'd say if I look at the last year of my life, I maybe track third of the days, mm-hmm. not even half the time. Um, as far as food goes and it's never, it's not so much like a target, but like, let's see what a trend is. Like if I, if I'm like, like I said, I'm like, what, what is happening? I'll maybe track for a full week. Cause I eat mostly the same stuff all the time and yeah. see like, what am I taking in? Okay. That that's fair. You know? And then like, I'll just keep make an adjustment or whatever if I need, and then just keep on going with whatever. So I probably track, like I said, maybe a third to a half of the time. Um, and then in terms of weighing in, I'm very, very, uh, reluctant to, for me in my body weight, I, I barely weigh in maybe once or twice a month. Um, yeah, because there's so much, I don't even want to say like, it stresses me out to know. I feel like I've just gotten to a point where like, I kind of (laughs) know, you know what I mean? Like when I wake up. I can kind of tell if I'm like, for example, last night, um, I had some friends in town. We went to a concert and I ate afterwards. Really like, this is a bad day to win. I'm like, no, it, it's like not indicative of what I really, what's really going on. Um, and so I think too, again, like I got injured and I could, I know I wasn't expending as many calories. And like one morning I woke up and I was like, I think we might be a little fluffier than we probably need to. And I weighed in and actually I, I, on the scale, I wasn't, but I'm, also smart enough to know I'm like, well, you actually haven't been lifting as much in your lower half. So it's probably you lost, you're a little deflated right now. Right. So I was surprised I didn't weigh more, but I know I'm squishier. So it's like, I think I've just finally, after like maybe five years of being like religious about caring about my body that I kind of know what's going on for the most part. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also in, in how my clothes fit, like if, Cause I, I wear the same damn Nike pro shorts to train in every freaking day. And if they're like a little tighter on my thighs, I'm like, okay, calm it down a little, you know, but, um, it's, I've gotten good at seeing myself more objectively in that way. Like, again, if I would have seen the scale move three, four years ago, I would immediately be like, what do I need to change? And now it's like, I kind of almost go backwards. I'm like, all right, so what's the last week been like? are you not sleeping enough? Have you, are you injured as the training not been what it should be? Or you just, you know, this is a week you had a bunch of two a days and you might just be swollen from stress. Um, I don't know. I don't, I almost see it as checkpoints rather than like, it's telling me what's going on. Like, I, I don't see it as, um, I don't see it as gospel, I guess, like I used to. Cause I know there's a lot more stuff moving around. It's easier too to see it less strict when my training isn't as calculated. Mm. So like I, I have weight training, but it's never the same every day. Like, you know, when you follow a program for, for just bodybuilding or just powerlifting, it's pretty much spread as evenly as possible. And it's yeah. the same almost every week. My coach gives me new training every day. So every day of training is different. Three days a week. I have two a days. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's almost like my body weight can almost never tell me exactly what's going on because my training is always different. And so that's probably good that those are disassociated now. Um, in terms of eating out, I'd probably have two good meals a week out with my boyfriend. It's always uh, like Wednesday nights and Saturday nights because the next day I'm off. I don't like feeling kind of heavier. On a, I don't like waking up feeling kind of weird on training days. <laughs> um, or, or sodium bloat or like if I go have a margarita, you know, and I, whatever. Um, but probably a couple times a week, I'll have a really good meal that I don't give a shit really what's in it. Um, and when I say I don't give a shit for me, it's still like, I do want protein and I do want, you know, cause I want to feel good. So I guess that's it too, is I finally met a place, um, 
where I'm eating because I want to feel good for training versus I'm eating because I'm watching my body comp. No lava cakes. <laughs> Not really. Um, and I don't even want to say never. Like Easter was this past weekend and my family down in the, I was like a four hour drive to go see them. And every time there's a holiday, I'm eating whatever's there. And it's usually in my family, Mexican food and a trashy dessert or whatever, but I'll eat it. Yeah, I mean, I, I really like how, like, first of all, the, the weighing strategy, I heard it from you that you don't want to get a whole bunch of trashy data. And I, I started using the same thing, like when I know, like, for example, today, I experimented with some weird recipes with a lot of xanthan gum. I'm not going to weigh in tomorrow because <laughs> the scale is going to reflect something entirely different than what's going on, like fat cell expansion wise. And But the other thing is that how like you're not tracking all the time. And in a sense, you could call this intuitive eating, but at the same time, you can see from your description where everybody can see that it's not intuitive eating in the sense of like, like, oh, my body is telling me that I should eat some candy or whatever, or like I'm in front of the TV, I should go ham on these pretzels or whatever. Like you still have a lot of structure, you're familiar with foods and you know what you should be eating to support your goals and to take care of your body composition, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, um, we say intuitive eating, but your intuition is different when you've been tracking for like five to 10 years. You know, your yeah. intuition is, um, I guess it's developed. It's not, because a lot of people, I don't think when, I would say not people in our field, but like people in the general population, when they say they feel like eating something, a lot of times that's emotional feel. Whereas someone who really knows like what's in their food and they're tracking paper, sometimes what they feel like, like me, where it's like um, my lunch, if I only have one training session will be uh, less like after I train, it'll be a less dense. It'll include some fruits and vegetables, a lot of meat, you know, da, da, da. but if I know I have to go back again, it'll be very, it'll be just as many calories, but I'll pick smaller foods like a, like a energy bar and a, you know, something that's like, might be the same, like 400 calories, but I can fit it in the palm of my hand versus like filling a whole plate. That's yeah. what I mean by intuitive. Like I know I, if I have to run tonight, I don't want to eat this big ass meal um, because it'll feel too heavy in my stomach. Like that kind of feel is different than like, I feel depressed and chocolate sounds good. Like, exactly. yeah, the intuition is a little bit different. So that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. It, it reminds me of, I, I once took this, I guess it was like a stock trader uh, course or something like that. And the, the trainer said that, um, you know, guys, at some point you have to go kind of by feel. But trust me, the way I'm feeling is very different than how you're feeling at this point. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. Good way yeah, to say yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So um, I think we covered a lot of cool stuff here. And the, the final thing I want to ask you about is um, something on like... As far as I know, you're also a, a big kind of personal development kind of girl, right? Is that right? I think so. Yeah, I'm always working on myself. I know yeah. when people hear personal development, they think like motivation. I mean, like kind of, but yeah, I'm, I I just like working on myself because it, it translates into everything I do, and I have a weird tendency to have to publish like publish it somewhere. But yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. really into it. No, that's good. That's good. I just recently um, adopted a new uh, intro for my podcast. And like the name of my podcast is Sustainable Self-Development. And the like the, the intro of my podcast is the most corny, disgusting crap I ever heard. But but I had to put it there because that's just what fits the theme. So uh, but anyway, so um, first of all, if you look at your life and kind of the success you achieved and if you look at resources or just general habits that helped you over recent years, what couple of, it could be as simple habits as maybe just time management, but anything that comes to mind that you would just point at as like, okay, this was definitely a game changer or just really helped me out over time. Is there anything like that that comes to mind? Yeah. Uh, reading again. I just mm -hmm. started reading again and like, uh, last year and a half or so I finally got audible because I, I went to like I went from grad school and like reading all the school books 
to um, just reading everything I could about bodybuilding and trying to change my physique, you know, for like fucking four years. And then yeah. when I let, finally I was at a place um, again where Brett was like, dude, we can only do so much like chill, you know, only so much is productive. And so I was like, uh, I guess my first segue, right, before I got into, before I found grid, when I was just like looking for things to work on, I was like, it had to be myself because I wasn't happy, you know? So I mm -hmm. think that getting, it, it's almost like everything has a, a its purpose, right? Me being unhappy, not able to find a sport got me back into reading again, which I always loved as a kid. Um, and, and not just like, YouTube videos and blog posts because like that's always something that's like easy to find wherever but actually getting into books and making notes in them and um, I I guess that's a, a huge thing and what I do is because I am so like physically busy all the time audiobooks have been a, a huge game changer for me and if I hear one I like then I'll go buy it and then read it at night and highlight it and da, da, da. so I go through almost every book like at least if I like it at least twice both audio and then physically. And maybe I'll go back and forth when I need it. There's some books I'll listen to over and over, but, um, how do you, how do you pick the, the books that you're going to read next? Um, either they're mentioned within other books that I read or there's certain people or authors that I follow or heard good talks or heard them on a podcast, maybe or whatever. Um, and sometimes After a while, right, uh, Amazon and Audible are pretty good at being like, here are the recommendations based on your previous purchases. So sometimes I'll get one of those. Um, so a lot of different ways. Um, what, what book would you recommend to someone who right now is... Like that's not me, by the way. Just, just, uh, just as an interesting kind of example. <laughs> okay. So, like, someone who is at a really dark place right now and going through something very challenging, and are looking for kind of some light at the end of the tunnel, just some inspiration to just, you know, pick themselves up and, and carry on. What kind of books would you recommend to that person? Uh, there's a couple depending on their personality. As far as like having a big challenge, The Obstacle is Away by Brian Holiday is a really great book. Um, there's one that I'm like convinced that everyone should read and it's called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck by Mark mm -hmm. Manson. And it is... So like just a practical human book that's not, um, it is personal development, but it's like basically you, instead of being like, you can do everything and it's all going to be okay. He's like, look, it's all going to suck. You can't get everything done. <laughs> it's like the exact opposite. So, so if you can't give a fuck about everything, what do you really care about and how do you change that? Because the rest of it, like for real, it doesn't matter. Like, so it, it's a, it's a much more practical pragmatic pessimistic approach which i like to you know um to just approaching life in general so that's i feel like that's the first book i've come across in the last few years where i'm like this could literally help i think anybody not just like an athlete or not just like a business person but like anybody to just kind of deal so it's it's really good cool cool okay obstacle is the way subtle art of not giving a I can't swear. It's my podcast. Now I'm just. Kidding. Oh my god! I'm so sorry. I didn't even ask you if I could swear. No, no I'm, I'm just okay. kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, okay. So, what what book would you recommend to someone who is maybe at crossroads in their lives? Maybe they are getting into college or out of college, and they are maybe having a, a quarter life crisis kind of thing, or they just really want to build a, a good, interesting life and and a cool career for themselves. What kind of books come to mind there? Um, a couple that come to mind would be The Dip by Seth Godin, um, where it's, it's very much a crossroads kind of book, like, do you keep going on this or do you quit this and go elsewhere kind of thing. Um, another one that comes to mind is Choose Yourself by James Altucher. Mm -hmm. Basically, it's like being like, hey, in the world we live in, you kind of really can do anything. Mm -hmm. um, so instead of waiting for someone to give you permission, you, you kind of just kind of take it on your own and sack up and, and do it. Um, what else comes to mind? Crossroads, getting out of, um, play it away by Charlie Hone is a good one that kind of fits into what we're talking about. Like if you do put everything to career and forget yourself though, and forget to play, like, like just how, how important as weird as it sounds, play 
like whatever it is, like singing or golf or like for me it is being an athlete like doing the things that you love and that relax you and how good that can be for you um also oh this has never mind that's not going to answer your question it's another <laughs> good book um kelly mcgonagold and it's something about stress damn it oh the upside of stress yes i think that's another one for everyone to read too like going mm-hmm. backwards to the one where it's like chill out it's going to be all right and this is okay. the way to deal with it. Everyone's so stressed out nowadays, including myself. But I feel like that's pretty a, a practical and useful way. Yeah, yeah, and also, also, uh, just the fear of of being stressed out can almost create more stress, especially like in in physique sports. Like you know, sleep is so important. I need to get whatever nine and a half hours of sleep, and then you go try to take a power nap, and you're never gonna fall asleep. So. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Um, just, just a, a kind of a, a weird question here. Um, you as a, an online, you're working a lot online, and and you're coaching people uh, online. So I guess I'm imagining you're managing your own time mostly. Do you have any kind of uh, tool or method to manage your own time? Do a to do list and kind of just ensure that you're productive all the time, or at least when you need to be. Yeah, I have so many lists. It's so stupid. It makes no sense to anybody. Um, did you watch my podcast with Ryan by any chance? I'm sorry. I have like four systems of how to remember things. Um, but yeah, I have to... I like lists. I like written things. I like... Like everything has to get written somewhere, documented. I I, I guess if anything, I've I've made it finally after a lot of years of trying to fill my brain with things. If I could sum it all up, it's that everything that comes in my head has to go somewhere Mm -hmm. and then I can deal with it later. So, um, yeah, there's an app on my phone that anytime a thought comes into my head, literally anytime when I'm not sitting at my computer, it goes in the phone, it goes in the phone in this one, um, this one particular app. And from there every day I'll sort it into its various lists. So whether that's a content list, a to-do list for the day, a to-do this month, a this is a good idea to deal with later list. Like there's there's lists everywhere, but it's basically the only way that I can function is if um, it gets put somewhere because my brain can only deal with so much. So what what's the app you're using? Um, well, what I do <laughs> is, uh, I think a lot of people have heard of If This Then That, and it's basically applets that that control other things. So like, a most basic example, like you can set up to where if I put a picture on Instagram, then I also want it to go to Facebook. I know that they do that natively, but like um, another thing would be like if I press this button on my app, it'll immediately send a timestamp with a text message to my this same friend every time. Or like it's it's literally just like you can you can create these triggers that make other things happen, right? And part of one of the things that if this then that offers is called do note. Um, So I have this one app in my phone and I click it, I type in and I put send and it goes directly into a program called Slack on my computer. And Mm -hmm. Slack is a team management software that we use. Um, Like I use it with my, like we use it for the podcast as a a team in Slack. Uh, Me and the guys with 3DMJ have a team in Slack. Um, and I have my own team in Slack where it's just me and Ryan is making fun of me. Um, but basically everything that comes into my head, I send to, to my private Slack group with the just me. And within that, then I'll look at it every day and sort it into the various channels of like, oh, this is an idea for later, or I need to write this down in my today's to-do list, or I need to put it in the list of phone calls to make or whatever. So I guess that's the quickest way to sum it up. Yeah, is it goes through, it's called Do Note, which gets sent directly to a Slack channel. And Slack, I have open when I'm working at night. So I know to go through that and filter it out. Okay, okay. I, I like that. Yeah, it's actually, um, I mean, I, I knew that you talked about this with Ryan. Uh, I, I think I just kind of zoned out because I was on the leg extension machine. I remember <laughs> when you were yeah <laughs> when you were talking about this. So, so it was like, but I, I just remember that I was really laughing when Ryan said that he thought that like, if it's really important, I'm going to remember it. But that's, um, but that's not how it's working. 
but uh but yeah like my, my problem was always that i created these beautiful systems of like content schedule and interview like people to interview list and to-do list but then i just never looked at it so <laughs> yeah that that's um I have to, I have it written. Like I say, every day I go through it, but like I have a list of, of what I do every day that sits on my computer. It's like every day when I sit down, I fill out the training I did today. I put it in my, in my sheet that I share with my coach. Then I do my athlete reports for the day. And then I go through that Slack channel and filter the shit out. And then depending on what ended up on that day's like written list is what I'll do. And I don't get it all done every day, but I need at least the suggestion of like, this is what should get done. Right. And then throughout that big ass list, it's like, there's only, let's be honest, like two or three things that if they get done, it really matters. And the rest of them are like, yeah, this would also be cool. <laughs> but there's, you know, I can't do everything every day. And, um, I try to spread it out based on my training days. Like I try not to like all my podcast interviews I do on Thursdays because it's the only day that I don't have to go to the gym necessarily. It's an active recovery day. So sometimes I do go and like elliptical for a little while or do a light circuit. But um, like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, I definitely go train for like multiple hours. So I don't do them then. And so there's all those little caveats to it. But in general, that's a theme. If I could think of a productivity tool that helped me, it's saving my brain space for shit that actually matters and using technology to help me not keep it all in my head. All right. All right. Beautiful. So thank you so much. And before I ask you the, my very last question, just uh, please tell people where they can uh, find you and uh, any resources you'd like them to, to check out. Sure. Um, so with me and the other four gentlemen of 3D Muscle Journey, that's where you can find everything we do is at 3dmuscljourney.com. Uh, that's where our, we have two articles a week that come out. We have a podcast every week and it can all be found there. But if you want to look at it all like separately, we do have an Instagram at team 3DMJ. We all have individual ones. Um, we do have a Twitter at three team 3DMJ. We have youtube.com slash team 3DMJ. And obviously our podcast is on iTunes. If you just search 3D, it'll pop up somewhere. Yeah. And you have your own podcast as well, right? Correct. Yeah. And anything I do, you can go to andrewvaldez.com. I write every week or two. I just started my own podcast, which is not about fitness necessarily. Um, it's just people that I really like and find interesting. And it's all the people. Uh, yes, a lot of my friends, almost all of them are from fitness, but I don't love them because of their fitness information. And I like <laughs> to have everyone find out why I love them outside of that. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. I would highly recommend people to check that out. And um, my very last question, because I know that a lot of people will be wondering about this. I saw uh, or I watched a, a 3DMJ podcast episode, which was about finding your fitness career. And um, and so for people who are who are kind of trying to do what you do or just trying to get into the space, there are a lot of ways to do it. I mean, you can be one of these aesthetics people if you have the genetics and you look really beautiful. You can be an evidence-based, super smart guy if you if you can educate yourself sufficiently. But as you know, there is a lot of competition and everybody's, everybody is looking for attention. What would you advise to people if they are trying to find their own voice and just trying to come across as an authentic, original you know, individual in this whole industry? Yeah. Um, a few very general pieces of advice would be pick one or two channels where, you know, you can, like you said, go ham, right? Like I think starting off, it's really hard to be really, um, present on all the things right on YouTube and Facebook and Instagram and Pinterest and whatever, like in a podcast. So I think it's, it's really hard to do everything. Um, so maybe pick one or two that you know you can do consistently and provide really great quality content, right? And I would say do it for like a year because it's gonna change. You, you're gonna, um, not that your, your things will change, but like there's things that you think in your head that actually come out differently. Like you might think you're a really great talker, but maybe you're not, you're actually a really good writer. Or maybe you think that your audience wants information, but then you find out that they actually just want perspective of your life. 
So I would say pick one or two channels, right, um, platforms that you're going to go hard on and purposefully try delivering different messages in different ways. See which ones feel good to you. See which ones people actually respond to. Um, and there, and just treat it like an experiment and what does or, or doesn't work. Like, I think if there's one thing I accidentally did, right. It was just YouTube hard every day for like a year, year and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, and li- like at least five videos a week and it worked out really well for me. And then I branched out and it kind of like fizzled, you know? So I yeah. think that's important. Um, and I think just a couple of common mistakes I see with, um, I don't want to say like it's necessarily a mistake, but something that is, if you think about it, pretty ineffective, but I don't think people think about it, is podcasts and Snapchat are far more effective if you already have an audience yeah. than if you're just starting out because it's hard for you to be established with people to know you well enough to be like, what are they saying? Like podcasts are just long form, right? And it's just... Yeah. If um, either you need to have really, really great guests or people need to already know who you are outside of that. And then because Snapchat people just can't find you natively. So if you have like 10 friends on Snapchat, right, because you have to search by someone's username, you don't just, it's not a feed like Instagram where it suggests people to you. So um, maybe just be a little pickier about about what you start to use. That's all. And then other advice. be okay with no, like understand that you're getting better in making your content, whether people listen to it or not. Don't think it's shit if no one's there yet. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a very good point. Yeah. Cause it's not going to be there. Don't expect to make it. And like, people will come like, it's very much your job to, to understand, I guess you have to love it enough to want to do it, whether people come or not. And if you don't, it's, this is not the space for you because it's hard. Yeah. 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 You, yeah, it's really hard. And then, okay, last piece of advice. When you do get those first 50, 100 people, take care, take care of them big time. Take yeah. care of them because they are your gateway to everything else. So find your lifers or whatever you want to call them really early on and treat them well. All right. That's, that, that advice was golden. So people write those, write those tips on the wall because uh, they were very useful. Yeah, I guess I'm one of those weirdos who started podcasting before I actually had an audience. And but you have really, really good guests, and that's you did that well. Yeah, yeah, and and also like I I like I enjoy doing it, even if nobody would listen to them. It was like finally I get to ask the questions that I always wanted other hosts to ask them. So yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like it in like um, the fact that you love it enough to get it out, get out of it what you want, regardless of do it though. Right. And you being like, I have to do this podcast. It's just, it, it serves me. And that is, um, it takes a special kind of person. As you know, most people are doing it because they want people to come on. But it's yeah. like, it's, um, it's, it's just big of you. And that's, that's a, an important trait. So Awesome. Wonderful. Uh, Andrea, thank you so much for coming on. It's been an honor to talk to you and I've taken up quite a bit of your time. So thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, guys, Abel here again. Hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please subscribe on YouTube if you watched it there. I come out with new content every week there, whether it's in the form of a podcast episode like this, which I actually aim to do one off every week, or some shorter informational video. Also, if you could just leave a comment and suggest some people that you'd like me to interview or just topics you'd like me to cover, uh, it would be very helpful to know how I can better serve you. And if you listen to it in podcast, format if you could leave a rating on itunes it would greatly help out the show and i would be more than grateful for it so thanks guys for hanging out up until now thanks for being here and see you all next week